0: This episode is brought to you by Focusrite Focusrite is a leading audio equipment manufacturer that's been in business for the past 30 plus years and most recently they've been focusing on developing consumer grade but really high quality products one of which we're going to be reviewing in this episode which is the Claret 8 pre-USB audio interface Check it out
1: What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 145 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. First things first, let's take a second to listen to the sweet sounds of Mr. Robin Stone. Nice, buddy. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will be talking about education. We'll be talking about the blues shuffle in reference to Jim Riley's article in the July issue. Our featured artist this time is Humphrey McGee's Chris Myers. After that, we'll get into a little gear review and check out the Focusrite Claret 8 pre USB preamp. And we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Woo, take two. <laughs> Take two. How are you, pal? Happy Friday. It's
0: actually Friday. We're not pretending it's Friday. It's for yes, real Friday. it's
1: actually Friday because I crushed it in 2018 with my side hustle yesterday. Oh, my. Side uh, hustle. Yeah. How's Crushing that, it in 2018 with my content on my side hustle. update the Pro Tools going for you. Bro. Okay, here's what I don't understand. Why would there not be an error that overtakes said windows on the screen? Like I don't have Pro Tools on the screen when we're doing this. I'm looking at the things that we're talking about. You would think that when we were forty-five minutes deep and there was a problem in minute four, that that the error that said, uh, "Hey, do you really need sixty-five plugins on your voice right now?" Uh, <laughs> you would think that that would have shown up on top of the windows instead of me just going, "You know what? Let me give a little peek on Proto." Oh my oh, God, oh where did God. all the files go? So yeah, so this is take two. Uh, We will do everything we can to make
0: this as original as possible, but we said it all yesterday. We certainly did. So it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like when you're in the studio and you get a great take, and the engineer's like, "Um, "I screwed up. Can you do it again?" I.
1: (laughs) So you want to record that? You're like, yeah, just like we just did, because I know you were rolling when you said we're rolling. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I figured I was due for one. The averages though are getting better. Now it's like three out of 150, one per every 50. Not bad. You know, <laughs> when I was banging out three or four mistakes in three or four episodes, I was a hundred percent failure rate. That did, was my did did you watch the game last
0: night and the massive brain yes. fart at the end?
1: Oh my god! I was oh like, man. I don't feel bad at all. <laughs> I, I love that Jared Smith just took off towards the. You know, he was like, "I'm just going to dribble this out. We just won game one. We stole this oh. from the
0: Golden State Warriors." Or it's tied. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was rough. I mean, he had two major mistakes too. At the end of the first half, he left Steph Curry wide open for that three, the tied up. Yep. So they went in halftime without the lead. I mean, man, that guy's oh. not having a good day. He is not having no.
1: a good day. No, no. Uh, it was pretty bad, especially because, <laughs> I, I mean, dude, if really, if you think about the attention that that series will have, it's going to die down now because if LeBron would have won the first game or if the Cavs would have won, then all of a sudden you feel like, I don't know, maybe it could be the greatest upset of all time. But that was – LeBron had 51. I know. He, could, he couldn't have that played he better. He gave it everything
0: he could. Everyone played as, as well as they could have except for just a couple brain farts. Yeah, and
1: that's uh, that's sometimes what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, but, and then it was almost like in overtime the Warriors were like, Oh my god! I totally forgot. We're like the best team ever, uh, <laughs> right. and then there was just no shot. They were just, yeah, I mean, I think at that point they were laughing and giggling. I mean, they were making brain farts and giggling about, <laughs> it. like, ah, oh, ah, oh, That's funny. NBA Finals, no big deal. So yeah, so this is game fun.
0: two of the Drummer Podcast. <laughs>
1: game one was a brain <laughs> fart, and I'm Jr. Smith. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I Jr. Smithed it. That's all right. Okay, well, let's get into it right away. Not uh, the actual stuff, but let's catch up. So. You have shown on social media and whatnot, but you were telling me yesterday in game one of the NBA finals, you were telling me that you just stumbled upon something new to practice. I
0: did. I was, um, so yeah, I've posted two videos in the past couple of days where I had, what I did was I created a loop, just clicking my sticks together. So it's a seven, eight pattern and I'm outlining the two and two, two, three. So I'm accenting okay. two one, two, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one. And I was just jamming on that. That's what I do every day. I just improvise and see what happens. At some point, I don't know what I did, but I played two extra sixteenth notes at the end of a fill, and it caused the loop to permutate over by an eighth note. And at first, I was so that like, "Gave
1: you the even numbers, right? One, two, three. yeah.
0: So One, two, two, three, now the accents four, five, were on six, two, seven. four, and six. But I still yeah. played. I was still playing in the two, two, three mindset." Wow. So it was weird. It but it, but I would just kind of went with it. and was like, "All right, well that's cool. Let me see what happens." And I've never I never practiced that before. So then I stopped. I was like, "All right, can I can I hear it as it's on 2 4 right. and 6?" Not at all. Not at all. No. I mean,
1: and that's <laughs> uh, that's something that I try to get the campers to understand when they're going through the depression is I just ask them, "Please do me a favor real quick and recount the hours that you have put into this." And generally the answer is zero. And it's like, "Then I'm sorry, you it's not that this is harder the two that you're dealing with, one, two, three, four, five, six of, and one, two, three, four, five, six seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Neither of those are harder than the other. One is just more unfamiliar to you yeah. than the other. Because we're never so taught it's, it. I mean, we're never taught. Exactly. It. and we've never heard it. I mean what you know when you hear one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I immediately think Tom Sawyer. Oh, yeah, so it's like, well, I've heard that on the radio before. People have phrased songs in seven and groupings of seven that way. But I haven't heard, and we were uh, talking yesterday, I haven't heard a lot of fives taught with two and four. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, yeah, four, No. Three, two, three, four. So it's like my ear can't hear that. I rely on that first note to reset me. Now the one's missing. Do I do it? Well yeah. I, I don't know. I feel I feel like I was swimming in the ocean with that one. So you when you went back home last night did you practice
0: it some more? A little bit, but then I ended up uh discovering something else. I um uh, two things. Oh so this has been like a week of just happy accidents. So I uh one thing I did was I created like a bass loop where I was I played like a higher note on one, this is in 4. And then okay. everything else was on a lower note. So bam, ba bump, bam bump, bam, ba bam, ba bam, 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 bam. Okay. And I started improvising over that, purposely not accenting the one but accenting the end of two. And the whole time I was jamming, I totally got it. When I went back and watched the video, I could not hear the one where it's supposed to be. I was hearing the high note is beat four. I've done that
1: so many times when Instagram will maybe cut off my video. So when the loop point comes around, I've already heard it starts in a different place or whatever. And I'm like, wait. That sucks. I played this and I don't know where one is. (laughs) Right. (laughs) How the hell am I expecting anyone that's watching, you know, scrolling through their feed? And then I also, I don't know if this happened to you, and I know I remember a story about Dave Weckl going through this and him getting his concept of beat displacement from this, but sometimes where I hear it is way cooler than where I where I played it. I'm like,
0: oh, I should have started that
1: on the uh of two. That's yeah. a better spot. That's where the hipness is. Yeah,
0: I, I can't unhear it the new way, and it's, it's, right. it's frustrating because I'm like, I know that the high note is the one, but because I was consciously, I was practicing uh, filling over the bar line and landing on the end of two, All of a sudden it became, and that wasn't the one either in the new time. It was, (laughs) was, so anyway, I just posted that one. So if you want to check it out, it's the one is the high note. And then everything else is the, the off beats. But awesome. Yeah. So that, that was another thing. I'm like, all right, I got to practice more of that, like deceptive, uh, vamps and loops and being able to hear the downbeats in different spots. And then the other thing I was doing was I was playing like a kind of a jungle beat on the hi-hat and my stick hit the bottom of my left-side ride symbol
1: just okay. by accident. Oh.
0: And I was like, all right, now I've got to mess with that. So I started doing like 16-note rolls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All this That's stuff that I'm like, am I ever going to use this? Who cares? It's still fun. It doesn't matter. <laughs>
1: it's fun. It keeps you – and it's, it's almost like a little bit of a speed bag vibe where once you get it rolling – it's it's almost doing it on its own but you're like if i'm if i even flinch this thing will fall apart yeah it's so yeah. dependent on the physics of that yep. up and down motion and, and the rebound and yeah that's pretty fun. cool well, was, i
0: spent the last oh go ahead I'll say i was able to what was fun was i was able to slowly open the hi-hat and then crescendo on the The ride so it became like a a one-handed cymbal roll it's pretty neat that's pretty cool i don't play jungle you might use that but
1: (laughs) it was fun hey it'll it'll show up six to seven years from now when you (laughs) don't even remember ever practicing it yeah what were you Um, working on well i spent the last two days filming a new course called the trading fills course because one of the things at camp that we do now is the first thing we do when you get here in the morning we go straight into my private lesson room and we just trade fills with each other and it's just something where i'm like you know what i've been i've spent the last eight years of camps or the last seven years of camps stifling that thing like i don't want you like using sessions. my room with the yeah. two kids to go and shed and blaze each other yeah so then i thought okay but it Instead of fighting it, maybe I can make it productive. So each time that we go in there to trade fills, we're trading fills based off of the previous day's content and education. Mm-hmm. So if we all worked on learning something in 7 8, tomorrow we'll be trading fills in 7. Mm-hmm. Um, for you that are already signed up for the intermediate camp, don't worry. That's not part of it. <laughs> but that would be the idea that every time we're sitting there, we're taking what we learned yesterday and we're putting it into practice. So one thing that came out of doing that was the camper is saying, "I've never done this. I've never played with another drummer. My only drum friends that I have only have one drum set. So when I go to their house, one of us is on the kit." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, "Oh, well, have you ever traded with like a, like a piano player or a bass player?" Or, and no, I've never even had a gig. And I'm like, "Oh, well, you know what? Let me make a course for this, so I'll trade with you." Well, what I learned through doing that. The trading fills, no big deal. So it's a measure of time that we both play. Then I play a one-bar fill while you keep playing time. Then we both play another measure of time. Then it's a, then you play a one-bar fill. Then we do two-bar fills. We do four-bar phrases. Now, the four-bar phrases we're trading for, so there's no time in between us. So you have to keep track of your time. As the person at home watching me on your laptop or whatever you're doing – you have to know, I'm not going to like obviously hit a giant crash symbol every one, right. so you have to really keep track of time. Well, what I found out through recording this, because I wanted to have about a minimum of maybe 15 to twenty fours. Okay. You know how hard it is to trade fours with a camera 15 <laughs> times and not screw up one of those fours? Knowing that everyone's going to take this thing and then blaze me to hell and uh, yeah. upload that to Instagram? <laughs> like... That was some serious concentration. I don't trade – I mean I don't play jazz. I don't trade fours with people. So to sit there and on like your 11th one go, okay, this has to be pure improvisation because I can't go to my go-to licks or – or I would have to be thinking, okay, that last one was pretty choppy. Let's use a lot of space in this next one. Yeah. Um, And I also have to keep in mind I don't know the skill level of the people using this course. So I can't be blazing chops. I mean, every once in a while, I'll throw in some heat. And then the next one, uh, I might just make variations on Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Debbie Boone, Pat Boone, Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, Debbie Boone, you know, Uh or something like that. Um, So yeah, so if any of you guys want to try that out, and it's a six lesson course, just use the promo code podcast on mikeslessons.com when you're signing up, and then you'll get two weeks free. You can cancel anytime. You don't have to worry about anything. Um, And if you like it, then fantastic. But I think that course will really help those people. And I don't know if you saw any of the Mike's Lessons family posts, but Watching people do this and seeing the comments of them going, "This is the most fun I've had practicing in years." Mm, yeah, uh, or I had no idea how bad my time is because you keep hitting the crash and I'm not done with my fill yet. And it's like, well, <laughs> it was over. Yep, time that was the four time bars waits for no one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I can't, I can't bend it because you might at home be lagging. So, so yeah, so that's what I was working on. Nice. And just then yesterday, watching all the videos pouring of people actually doing it. It was really cool. So. That's cool. I mean, that's Hopefully like the bulk of my
0: practice is going to the point of mental and creative exhaustion and then keep going. And that's when all this stuff happens. That's when the displaced loop thing happened. That's when the one-handed right. roll thing. It's like, all right, I've, I've played everything that I'm comfortable with. Let me try some obnoxious stuff. And then right. at some point, and it I kind think of settles into a new, like, what is this? Yeah,
1: that's where you come up with those grooves like a Robin Stone groove. Uh, <laughs> nice. <if you> wanna... <laughs> yeah, how was that? <laughs> Anyways, intro today was brought to us by Robin Stone. Uh, killing it. <laughs> Were you on board with me for a second, thinking that I was actually talking about something serious? <laughs> no, that was awesome. Uh,
0: well done. So, yeah, okay. Robin Stone, is that was our intro beat. Robin did the crazy blast beat, outro beat, a couple months back, and he... He said, here's a uh, a blast-free beat for the for the show. So Robin is <laughs> an Aust- kids. Australian drummer, uh, amazing uh, metal drummer. And he is using a vintage sonar light kit, 10, 12, 16, 22. That's from 1987. He's got a uh, 8x14 birch sonar HLD 580 snare. No idea what that is. He says it's very rare. I know Robin's a sonar yeah. freak. so And we don't know what it is, so that means it's very rare. And a new company I never heard of, which is a Turkish-made but Australian-owned company called REC Symbols. They sound nice. R-E-C-H, yeah. Very cool. His mics are uh, standard Audix i5 on the snare, Sennheiser E602 on the kicks, and he's got some unusual mics, grit microphones on the toms. Never heard of them. Got to check them out. And he's using the 12-gauge shotgun, shotgun shell mics as his overheads, which I've seen them. I've which, not tried them. I want to try them, though. And those are literally made out of shotgun shell casings right yeah just for the outer part of it which would be if i get those that'll be the only weaponry in my house (laughs) i know
1: (laughs) i'm with you buddy well actually sean owens camper podcast listener brought me a um a tomahawk nice and like a mini tomahawk like if if i get lost down at the river and i need to build a fort I've got this axe that hooks to my belt, and I was like this, and it, he designed it and everything, and it's—I mean, it's legit. It's pretty rad. So I finally I have my first weapon, uh, but I'm I'm too scared to take it out of its plastic baggie. So uh, what are you gonna
0: do with that? <laughs> Hunt squirrel?
1: Uh, no, no, I don't know. I just I just know that when stuff goes down with the zombies, I've got about 18 seconds to get that bag open and. <laughs> Buy myself another eighteen seconds as I shut down one zombie before the next get me. But it doesn't matter because it's got like a panic whistle attached to it. I've, I did blow that thing a few times. I'm like, this is amazing. Nice, what a loud little whistle. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, he also was kind enough to send one to cue my bass player, who is actually into that stuff. He's cool. got like Damascus steel knives, and he, you know, every practice he shows me his new his new pocket knife. And I asked Sean, I'm like, dude, please send one of these to my bass player. He would freak. in. sure, sure enough, on our rehearsal. Uh, When I gave it to him, Q had just come back from Yosemite, proposed to his girlfriend at the top of Half Dome uh, in Yosemite. They spent the whole time camping and throwing axes. (laughs) And I was like, I happen to have the greatest gift ever for you. This has nothing to do with your engagement. This is just a kind, nice camper that saw us play and wanted you to have this so nice all right now let's talk about an, a, a monumental thing for us i mean q getting engaged that's cute congratulations old, but we q. passed a, <laughs> yeah whatever we
0: passed a million downloads we Ka-tang! sure did a million big winners so and to celebrate it uh ultimate ears is going to give away the what did we say they are the six pro custom yep. in molds and a um sound tap personal mixer for one giveaway and the other giveaway is the 900 non-custom molds also with the sound tap the entry form is live currently you have i think 27 days remaining to enter you can enter every day there's various different ways so if you go to the show notes there's a link there uh, we'll be blasting it with an email it'll be all over monjumper's facebook page um, there's many different ways, but you can you can enter every day. So I would get in, you know, for the next month, just enter and get yourself a chance to win.
1: Yeah, because uh, I can't leave home without my UE six pros. I I'm addicted to them. So, all right, let's get into education, and this is something that. When I, when I saw this article, I was really impressed um, by what Jim did. And speaking about Jim Riley's article on the blues shuffle in the July issue of Modern Drummer. Yep, just out and, now, fresh off the press. Yeah, and he really, really didn't try to be, cool kid, let me write the hardest exercise ever that you'll never play. It was like, okay, exercise one. We take out the middle note of a grouping of triplets, and that gives you your shuffle pattern. Yep. Um, so for any of you that don't know what a shuffle is or don't know when, when people refer to the shuffle rhythm, if you have a single bar of eighth note triplets, one and a two and a three and a four end, a, and you drop the and – Then you would have one and a two and a three and a four, a one, a two, a three. And then you're shuffling something. You could be shuffling your bass drum, your snare drum, your ride cymbal or whatever. Well, the blues shuffle and shuffles in general are generally built out of shuffling the ride cymbal pattern, which is different than the jazz standard pattern, which starts with a quarter note.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think that's that's usually like a red flag for for real blues music- musicians have to hear a drummer playing the jazz pattern. It's like that. Ah, I mean, right. nice try, but give yeah. me the whole shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to finish it out. You got, you got a couple of missing
1: notes there. Yeah. Some us <laughs> on one and three. Uh, and, so what you and
0: I were talking about is as he's walking you through this, or did you want to listen to it first? Yeah, let's drop in. He's, he opens up the video, which again is linked in the show notes. It's, on, it's live on momdrummer.com. He's playing along with one of his tracks from his book, and we can kind of hear him really laying it down. I love his snare drum sound. So let's check out Jim playing the Blue shuffle first. sounds big. So he's doing the variation that I associate with Chris Layton from Stevie Ray Vaughan's band with the diddle on the and of two or uh of two, mm-hmm. however you count it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, it, and I think that one thing that you hear right away is there's this ghost before the backbeat that is a physical limitation for so many people. Yeah. Ghosting yeah. into your backbeat, shuffling that left hand, uh, it's really hard. You know, you might not ghost it enough and then you get Ding kakat, ding kakat, ding kakat, or you might not be able to accent after the ghost, and you get ding pipit, ding pipit, ding pipit, <laughs> but to get ding da ding da ding to-ka. and really, really be able to do that little three-inch death punch, Bruce Lee thing, <laughs> right? That takes a lot of practice. That's pad time, you know. And and just the other thing is seeing him play that. When I watch Jim play that, I don't think I I don't even look at it as a drummer. I immediately think, oh, what what it must be like to be his guitarist or his bass player in a blues shuffle. Yeah, that's such a rock steady foundation. Yeah, and we as drummers have to realize that no one on bass, no one on guitars is like, God, I wish the drummer would just rip some heat right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I don't mean out of their backside. I mean rips <laughs> rips <some> and chops. Right, <laughs> give me so, some nines. I need a lot of nines. Yeah, right <laughs> exactly. Could you could you permutate that? Could you get a little metric modulation in there? No one's thinking that. They're thinking, for the love of God, stay there. That feels so good. I can do my job now over the top of that foundation. And so that's what this article is about. And for any of you that haven't played a blues shuffle, you know, you, I think you and I were speaking about how yesterday, how it's that left hand that takes it out of the world of just, it's a shuffle into the blues shuffle.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, it's, I think what we talked about last time was it's important to learn how to play it super precise and super accurate and with a metronome and make sure your triplets are in there. Once you can hear all that and control all that, I think the feel really comes from getting that left hand to just fatten up. And I think that's why I love that variation that Jim's playing because it automatically delays beats one and three whenever I play it. So it just makes everything just feel wider. Yeah. Yeah. So really, I mean, really, if you study, I mean, this is a good example, but if you listen to Chris Layton with Steve Ray Vaughan, you'll hear his ride cymbals ahead of his snare drum almost all the time. The kick drum is kind of driving. It's this kind of like slightly off kilter feel, but I think that's that's crucial. But that's one of those things where if you can't hear it, don't even try it. Just play it accurate. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I wouldn't fake that stuff. I
1: mean, you'd have to do that through what Will Kennedy calls, you know, you got a fellowship with the groove. You yeah. got to take it out on the road. You got to talk to people that have been there and done that a million times before you. And once you bring all that knowledge, I don't think that you would lay the snare back and even know that you were laying the snare back. You would go for a sound and then you'd have to reverse engineer it to find out, oh, I guess I was kind of dragging my snare. But I was just trying to... In your mind as a musician, you're trying to widen the sound, widen the waves. Yeah. And I think, like you said, listening to that Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff and really spending time listening to the music... And then the other thing that I think always gets forgotten when you're learning grooves is: Do you know what type of fills go with those grooves? Do you know where the crash is? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of styles where you know if you crash in certain spots in a reggae groove, it's going to be illegal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will send you back home. And <clears throat> and same with the blues. You know, like. Getting a young drummer to understand, and by young I just mean how long they've played, to understand that playing eighth note triplets between um, with hands in unison on floor tom and snare and crescendoing that is a totally valid lick. Yeah. Blum, 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 I blum, mean, blum, it's, it's, blum it's essential. You know what? I've
0: learned from having to do that a few times subbing for Carter on The Lion King. I cannot play unisons very well. Really? Like those kind of builds. There's just one measure where where it. Is triplets with both hands between the snare and the floor tom. I'm like, man, why is that the most difficult thing in the entire show for me?
1: <laughs> why does that turn into a single stroke roll by beat four? I mean, I, I <laughs> inevitably dun, 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 have to kind of like,
0: like, you know, bail out of it by the end and just play on the snare drum. It's it's wow. because I just don't practice it. So now it's now right? it's part of my sure. warm up routine. It's, un- it's
1: it's unfamiliar. Yeah, and I think that. When you're, when you're looking at this article that Jim wrote, it's pretty easy, especially for the Instagram generation, to be like, oh, I could totally do that. It's not about that. It, could you make it feel the way Jim's
0: making it oh, feel? man, Probably I would love not. to see a stream of legit shuffles on Instagram. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh man, I Shuffle Saturday. It.
1: <laughs> I think it, we could get it started. We could get a little hashtag going. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check out the um, article. It's just The Blue Shuffle uh, by Jim Riley in the July issue. And if you haven't picked up a copy of his book, please do that. Uh, obviously, you're going to get a great book, but more importantly, you're going to get really what would have cost anyone, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to track, which is these amazing play alongs that are played with a really legit fashion good length too sometimes in play along cds it's a minute and 30 seconds yeah. of a shuffle and you're yeah. like oh i was just getting into it but he's got actual songs on here so it's really cool stuff what's his book called again is it survival guide for the modern drummer survival highly recommend drummer. you know
0: also highly recommend his natural number system because it also has really great play alongs so he's got two Absolutely. books with pretty amazing play alongs definitely check them out i love it all right let's get into
1: our featured artist I will be straight up with you. I didn't know who Chris Myers was. I did my research. And what I found out was that Chris Myers is a top-level country drummer, funk drummer, fusion drummer.
0: (laughs) Prog drummer. uh, Prog
1: drummer. (laughs) I was like, what? So the first thing I looked up uh, with Umphreys McGee, I hadn't listened to them in a while. First thing I looked up was just whatever showed up on YouTube. And I see this concert with Joshua Redman. And I was like... Okay, that's the wrong band. There's no <laughs> way Humphreys McGee is gigging with Joshua Redman. I I had the thing on all day yesterday, and it's it's very almost snarky puppy esque. It was it was just amazing, and I loved yeah. it. And it had elements of funk and stuff. And then I go to their newest album, bro. <laughs> I I just don't I just don't know how you could even make it work when every song is fantastic, but it's almost a different genre.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're not trying to to be shy about anything. They go for it. If they're going to play rock, they're I going to play it. rock. If they're going to play funk, they're going to play funk. It's but they cool. play it all so legit. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was really, really cool stuff. So how would you describe Chris
0: Meyer's style? All around, I think. Yeah. All around. I mean, kind of in the Jim Riley mold where give me a genre and I can nail it and it's going to sound – right and i'm going to play with some, my own flair but i'm i'm going to play the style legit it's not like a fusion drummer playing straight ahead jazz or a rock drummer playing a shuffle it's he's kind right. of authentic in that in kind of like transparent way i guess it's for me it's like this is what you want a modern drummer to sound like like
1: yeah i mean he definitely epitomizes the the word professional drummer or the term professional drummer to me right. like that's what I would expect, I you know, I think honestly it's kind of funny, but Chris Myers is what I expected all drum teachers were like when I was a kid, yeah. like you can just yeah. do everything, you're a drum teacher, right. How did you accept this position unless you can do everything <laughs> and uh and when I watch him, it's just like, oh my gosh, I wish that was what a drum teacher was because and everyone would have such great fundamentals underneath them for all styles and and everything cuz when he plays funk it's funky yeah. like he's yeah. killing that stuff um but when it's almost like bar rock he's killing that stuff like he doesn't have great technique or he doesn't yeah. you know that he can't play the the choppy stuff but mm-hmm. he can do everything
0: yeah so we've what got um, we got an exclusive board feed from a recent show so we're going to drop in some audio from the song Looks. This is all live. This is I think this is the monitor mix, so what you're hearing is exactly what the band's hearing. Wow. Um, so there's no editing. This is just straight live. So let's check out a, a little bit of this. The song is called Looks by Umphreys McGee.
1: think that that shows you right there that whatever you just heard, now imagine a completely opposite genre, it will sound that
0: legit. Yeah, that sounded kind of like a... Uh, um, shoot. What's the band? Perry Farrell's band. <laughs> oh, you, uh... Jane's Addiction. Not porno for Pyros. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a little bit like okay, Jane's Addiction to me. <laughs> like straight up al- alternative rock with some tribal right? stuff. Yeah.
1: But it's... I, I was I was really blown away. So... I don't know Chris Myers personally, and I I don't know that much about him, but is this like one of his,
0: is this his long-term gig, or is he new to the band? No, I mean, again, I admit I haven't been following the band. They kind of came up, I guess, I mean, I hate the term jam band, but that scene I just never never really dove into, because at that time I was just way into bebop and hard bop. Uh, I kind of was a snob, and I never really checked out some of this stuff until guys like Joshua Redman started playing... Funk music, and then they were all of a sudden playing festivals with all these bands. Uh, right. But they've been around since nineteen ninety eight. This is their twentieth year. Chris joined yeah, the band the f- in two thousand two. So okay, wow,
1: yeah. I mean, they were around. They were touring when I was touring. They were just doing the jam band scene, and we were, you know, we were obviously in the rock thing. So uh, I never had any contact with them, or we never played any festivals together or anything like that. And um, but yeah, I mean, it just. I kind of wish I knew more about him because I feel like his past must be rich and deep with education or something. I mean, how do you get that good and that well-rounded unless you're studying
0: somewhere? I hope. Yeah, I mean, you love gotta, God. You, I hope he didn't just show up like that. You got to be a nerd <laughs> and just a lover of music right. in general with yep. no sense of, of snobbery. I think that's the key. Like oh, we're only going to do this style, we're only going to do that style, like whatever. Well, that's the thing is once you
1: get into that higher level music, you would think that him and his band would turn their nose up at going back and playing what a, I mean, you know,
0: Jane's Addiction vibe, yeah, or but like no, acoustic like, funk jo- vibe or something like that,
1: yeah. Or that maybe on their new album they'd put be like, "This is the most difficult thing we can play. Let's make that track number one so people know that we can flex." <laughs> but instead, track number one is like this throwback thing where I'm like, "Wait, I, I'm so confused. Is this like an '80s band? What is going on? Um Like an '80s pop band?" And they just they they crush everything. I it's funny on the new album. um, I heard quite a bit in maybe one or two different songs. I heard like a lot of mute math influence. Oh, okay. Uh, now, maybe All not right. influence, but because obviously Humphreys McGee has been around l- for a long time. But I heard that vibe of like, this could totally be on alternative radio stations easily. Like yeah. this, is, this isn't this is a jam band. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely one of those things where if you need every song to sound exactly the same when you buy a CD – this is not the band for you. Yeah. If you want to put on, a, you know, an album and let it play all the way through and get a ton of different vibes, but all killing it, then this is probably the band for you.
0: Yeah. Um, so he's um, amazing in his setup. So he is on the cover of the July issue. If you haven't seen it already, so it's a whole story about you know the making a new record and all that. Uh, his kit is one of those new Music City uh, Pearl Reference Series kits. Yeah. Uh, the drums sound great. He's using a hybrid exotic snare, which I think that's the one that's like got some fiberglass in it. I think, I think it's fiberglass and kapoor wood. <laughs> pretty pretty cool. Of he's got a ten inch popcorn snare. He's got a pretty big kit, so it's again, it's like a, it's a drummer's kind of dream setup with tons of toys and fun stuff. Six piece kit, bunch of cymbals, bunch of like stacker things, SPDS pad, side snare, all the cool stuff. Looks like he's got an yeah, extra man. bass drum pedal over what's he got going on there? I think he might have an electronic <laughs> pedal to the right of his main bass drum pedal.
1: Yeah. And he's got... I mean, yeah, mean? I, I, I really was kind of blown away by the whole thing and uh, he's definitely somebody that I'm going to be following from now on and I also want to... Do a, a YouTube deep dive and find, see if I can find more videos of him playing by himself without the band. Cause that video that you showed me of him was
0: it warming up backstage or whatever? Yeah, yeah. So that was, so yeah, Miguel Mon- Monroy from, he's on staff here, he went to the show and went backstage and hung out with Chris Myers and filmed him on his practice kit. So he travels with a four piece kit. It's backstage, and he legit practices every day. So, yeah, I thought we should drop in. You know, rather than just doing, I mean, technical warm ups and all these chops things, he actually is reading charts. So, there's a bit where he's playing the tune "Actual Proof" by Herbie Hancock, which originally featured the great Mike Clark on drums. So, we got a clip of him playing the tune down by himself. There's no keyboard or bass to keep track of the form, and he's just kind of wow. jamming in a Mike Clark style totally different than what you just heard in that previous track so let's just drop in a little bit of that show sponsored this week, Focusrite, and as a special treat, we're actually going to be reviewing their Claret 8P USB interface, which I think we alluded to a few weeks back. Um, So thanks, Focusrite, for sponsoring the show. Um, Talk about this interface. This is an $800 USB interface, so it'll work with PCs or Macs. It's got eight mic pre, you know, XLR inputs, um, independent control, obviously, for level and all that. Um, comes with its own software, which was cool because you can create totally separate headphone mixes for one and two. So you can have you, know, you can bounce the tracks coming back from Pro Tools or whatever, however you like for two sets of headphones. Um, what else does it have? Um, it, it comes with the Red EQ and the Red Compressor. Those are two free plugins. Those are kind of world-renowned uh, EQ and compressor plugin. I think Chris Lord-Alge uses the Red Compressor on all of his mixes. Uh, nice. so here's the positives. I plugged it in. It worked. Everything was cool. No, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> you didn't have to learn how to make it work. <laughs> it just, I just plugged it in. I mean, I, I did end up downloading their software. I don't think I needed it cause I was able to open up, Ableton live and it was showing up and I could just record right away. But having that software allowed you to adjust the levels of the click and all that kind of stuff. Nice. Uh, things you might want to consider. It doesn't have, uh, a pad for any of the mic pres so if you have a super hot mic you're going to have to deal with that internally um, or get a, a, a pad for your microphone like you're using right um it and which was no big deal i was able to make it work fine my overhead mic in the samples we're going to check out was the Shure ksm 44 initially when i didn't have the pad on the mic engaged it would just give me a ton of signal that i couldn't really get the the mic pre where i wanted it But once I engaged the pad on the mic, it was totally cool. No clipping, no issues whatsoever. Super clean. Um, The two channels, one and two, were on the front of the interface. Again, no big deal. It's kind of cool if you want to quickly plug a guitar in or or something. But if you're going to have all eight inputs used all the time, you're going to have two mic cables just jutting out of the front of the interface. Right, right. Not really that big of a deal, but just something to think about. Right. Um, it is nice to have that on front. Again, if you want to do an overdub with a keyboard or a guitar, you just plug it straight in and it's it's all good.
1: I was going to say I, I just recorded uh, some demo stuff with my band two nights ago. And yeah, having to pull my rack away from the desk and yeah. then get to the back of my Neve pre's—I would have loved yeah. to just plug into the front. So, if you're somebody that's tracking with your buddies and your band, then definitely having those inputs on the front is huge. Yeah.
0: Another really good positive is it has a in and out. So, if you wanted to expand it, you could get a, a digital eight mic pre and just plug it right in, like the Octa-Pre the Focusrite makes, and it'll—you'll have sixteen channels. So, it's kind of an endless wow. setup. It's not locked into just eight. Uh, super cool. Uh, so, what I did was I recorded a three mic setup. So, I've got Shore Beta 52 inside the bass drum, kind of right where the spur mount is, aimed at the batter head. I've got a Shore SM57 on the snare, just typical spot. And I have the KSM44 overhead, maybe five feet off the ground, right above the bass drum pedal. So, it's kind of that's my overhead. So, um, I nice. wanted to give us – so we're, what we're going to hear is what, what the interface sounds like completely clear with no, no processing what, whatsoever. Um, so you'll hear that – I mean this is why I don't like saying that no, no EQ, no compression when you record because you're going to hear some stuff in there that's no fault of the interface or the microphone or the drums. It's just cumulative proximity effect and all that kind of stuff. Right. So this is the full mix, those three mics with no processing whatsoever. Sounds like a drum set. Yeah, so we just hear that by itself. It's clean. The drums sound good. That was an 18-inch bass drum, 12 and 14-inch toms, and a 6.5 by 14 maple snare. Some, you know, K custom dark complex rides, so kind of thin and, and dry rides um, and a thin set of A hi-hats. Um, so that sounds fine, but then once I put on the red EQ and just kind of did some quick fixes on each channel, I, did, I spent maybe two minutes doing the whole thing, So you're going to hear it clear up a lot. So this is the same exact recording with the red EQ on each channel.
1: I mean, just that alone would be enough—more than enough for your, you know, for anything really.
0: Yeah. So the way the red EQ is set up, it's not like a typical doll EQ where you can go in and like surgically remove frequencies and stuff. It has okay, it has four things. It's got a low low shelf, a high shelf, and two mid uh, peaks that you can kind of dial in. Sort of accurate, but it's more just like get a good sound and move on. Don't obsess over it. Yeah,
1: that does actually sound very CLA. Yeah,
0: like, right.
1: He'll <laughs> have like a sweetenizer knob on his plugin and that's
0: it. Exactly. It's
1: like, I don't know what it's doing, but it's sweetenizing it. Yeah. Okay, then
0: uh, you dropped in uh, the compressor. Yeah, so now this is the same exact recording, but I, I dropped in the red compressor on all the channels and again just did enough to kind of tighten things up. I didn't go crazy with it. So this is the same mix now with the compressor added. all glued together I made it punchy and and i yep. i tried not to make it super obvious so again with just these two uh plugins i feel like you can get a pretty clean accurate what we say is a non-colored sounding <laughs> recording. right yeah, yeah sure all right sure. so the last thing i did was a i put the eq and the compressor on the master bus and then you know just kind of tweak the overall mix with a little bit more clarity and a little bit more compression the cool thing about the compressor is it has a dry wet knobs you can blend in the compressed signal to a certain amount so it's just a parallel compression yeah so here's the full mix again now with the mastered version with the eq and the compressor on the bus I think in that one you can hear it's a little bit more f- polished. But, but, yeah, it just sounds finished. Yeah. It sounds usable,
1: like, okay, cool, now I can upload this to wherever I want. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. the Focusrite
0: uh, Claret 8P USB, uh, awesome interface. And how much is it? It's 800 bucks. so basically you're paying yeah. like 100 bucks per mic pre, which you can't do that anywhere. Right, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's, that's absolutely amazing. Super cool. So, if you're looking to get a little home studio set up going, this would be a great kind of centerpiece for your studio. And they're offered you know, various promotions where they'll give you free plugins from other companies and stuff. So, it's pretty cool. Definitely dig it. So, awesome. that's so, it. Where are we well, at now? now?
1: We're, it's time to get to uh, some
0: listener questions. Okay, so what do we got here? First one is this is from Steve Smith from Sacramento, California.
1: Hey.
0: He says, my question pertains to playing backbeats on a snare with the snares turned off. I recently developed a drum part for an original rock song that has a Tom-based halftime tribal sounding groove for the verses, and the snare has the snares off, and a more traditional halftime groove on the ride, kick, and snare for the choruses. Due to the quick transition from verse to chorus, it's difficult for me to reach down and turn the snares back on for the the halftime chorus groove. So he's been playing the groove with the snares off the whole time. Right. Um, says, I like the way it sounds, um, but I feel a little uncomfortable playing backbeats with the snares off because of all my years of playing. I've not heard anyone do this. Um, I wonder if there's a reason for this, or do either of you have experience with or opinions on playing backbeats on a snare with the snare turned off?
1: Uh, it's obviously contextual, but uh, I'm sure it can work in the right context. But yeah, it, it would... It would irk me a little bit if it if it went to standard rock beat and it was like bones and cones, <laughs> like, oh dog, I'll run up there and do it for you. Uh, one thing I would suggest, besides investing in a second snare and yeah. having a side snare, yeah. the other thing I would suggest is maybe just uh, turn where your throw is and put it right between your legs. It's a really easy place to get to instead of reaching to like the full side of the drum that you know either the drum. If it's on the side, there's only two options. It's where your knee is for your bass drum pedal, or it's underneath your hi hat cymbal. Both are tricky places to get to when you have a stick in your hand. If you put, if you just turn it um, 180 degrees, or I guess, no, 90 degrees. 90 degrees. degrees? <laughs> yeah, I got this, bro. Don't worry about me. <laughs> if you turn it 90 degrees, then uh, it'll be right between your legs and it, it's a little bit easier to get to. Yep. But I would yeah. say just get a side snare and you'll be set.
0: Yeah, I think. The snares are what kind of make the drum cut through, especially if it's a loud chorus part. So it mm-hmm. it probably doesn't sound as good as it probably could. Um, I would recommend right. checking out Billy Ward's um, DVD, Big Time, I think, and also yep. uh, his performance at the Modern Drummer Festival in 2000, maybe. I don't remember the year. But that's Some something. gorgeous DW exotic veneer kit. Yeah, he's, he kind of yeah. talks about practicing that kind of stuff. Like rather than practicing mm-hmm. drum stuff, he practices okay, I've got a shaker in my hand, but I've got to get to a regular groove. What do I need to do? How do I have to plan? Where does a shaker need to go? Where the sticks need to be? So right. I think it should be something that you try to practice. I mean, I have to do it a lot. Uh, I agree. And I've seen other people, they have the throw off position so they can use their knee to turn it on. And it yeah. works. I mean, well
1: yeah, it depends on what kind of throw you have. If you have like a Gretsch Lightning throw, then you could do that. Um, if it's you know it, it totally depends on it, but I think you're right, practicing it is something that a lot of people just don't do. You know, yeah. I mean I, I remember practicing hours and hours and hours because I was obsessed with the way a cross stick sounds when your stick is backwards. And I would go uh, yeah. boom, doom, click, to flip, flip doom, doom, <laughs> stack, doom, 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 click, flip, doom, doom, scat. And I would, I would literally figure out, okay, I could, I cannot do that above ninety BPM. If the grooves above ninety BPM, I don't have enough time to do that. I'm going to have to suck it up and have a cross stick with the, with my, you know, the tip in the normal position. Uh, now I actually like that cross stick sound because it has a little more earthiness to it, mm. where the backwards cross stick is almost like a sample. It's yeah, like clave. a clave. It, it's like a clave. It's cutting through. So, but yeah, but practicing those things, practicing, you know, feeling that your stick in your left hand has just cracked, but it hasn't broke. It's cracked, but you can feel it. So can you get another stick out of the stick container? Now you're playing with two sticks in one hand and you drop
0: <laughs> The one that's cracked. Like I used to practice that stuff all the time, man. That happened to me on a gig recently where I was like, in the course, I was really kind of nailing the ride. I'm like, oh, this thing's going to go. So I had to just find a spot within the phrase, not at the end of a phrase, where I could just quickly grab another stick.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I'll make it the crash of one Mm. is a crash and a release, and the stick goes flying off the symbol (laughs) while I get another arrow out of my Katniss arrow sheath. So... I mean, if you're going to do it, might as well make a production out of it. (laughs) All right, next question. All
0: right, this one's from Jerry. Uh, He says, I've got a quick question about, um, I guess you had talked about using the Yamaha EAD on your practice pad. Yeah. Um, So he says, I have a Pearl Midtown Bop Kit set up with Remo Silent Stroke heads and the Zildjian low-volume cymbals. My question is, would triggering on the EAD have the ability to fully trigger a kick and snare sound? Or does it only slightly this alter the sound being picked up by the microphone?
1: It would fully alter – it would fully trigger the kick because um, you can dial that in. But you you would need to buy a second trigger for your snare. Yeah. It, all it's going to do – the other thing you're hearing is a microphone. So it's just going to slightly alter the sound. But it does have an in for a second trigger. So when Yamaha sent me the EAD-10, they actually sent a second trigger yeah, for it. Me so, too. Yeah, and any yeah, And any company's trigger will work. Um, But yeah, I would just trigger your snare, and then the the kick is already being triggered by the EAD10 unit, and then you'd be set.
0: Yep. Um, I saw you playing around with it. It's fun. It's super fun. And yeah, uh, what I've realized is, I mean, the snare is a dual uh, trigger input, so you could actually have a splitter out, and so you have one trigger on your snare that's just going to get like the rim shot sound. You could send another one to a tom, so you could have a second trigger on your tom. And there's also Mm -hmm. another trigger input. Or another tom, so you have a four-piece kit, you could have three triggers, you know, trigger on each drum, plus the built-in trigger for the kick drum, so you have a fully triggered electronic sound, and the yeah. the triggers are... And using the mic to blend in. And that module is pretty darn accurate. I didn't have to adjust anything with the trigger sensitivity whatsoever. I nice. had to adjust the microphone volume was kind of peaking on me at times, so I had to adjust that a little bit, but... I mean it's kind of like a plug and play device. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is.
1: It, that the that was the one thing that blew me away was I took it out of the box. I was like, "Oh god. Here here's the next day <laughs> yeah. taken up." And then within up. 4 minutes I was totally killing it, killing it. I was it was killing it and I was like, <laughs> "This is great." In four minutes, I was like, why am I so good at the drum set? My uh, <laughs> oh, nice kick and never sound it.
0: more precise, ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't know how I do it all in a day. God, I'm productive. So anyways, uh, within four minutes, it was working great and doing what it promised to do. So definitely check out the Yamaha EAD-10. Um, yeah, we'll, right.
0: we'll definitely be doing a full uh, product review on that thing. For sure. Uh, Third and final question. All right. This one's from Nick. Do either of you have experience working with musician unions? If so, what are the advantage and disadvantages?
1: Yep. I'm going to give you a long answer. No. You've never been in the union? Nope. No. Um, I mean, honestly, not enough need for one here in Sacramento, California. Yeah. There is a musician's union, but I, I've just never needed it. When I was living in Los Angeles uh, and I was pretty sure I was going to leave the touring world behind, I definitely considered it. But living
0: here, you can just – you can call Jim and be like, Jim, you got any gigs coming up? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so in my case, I'm currently in the union because all Broadway musicians have to be a member of the union in order to do the gigs. Got it. I only joined the union because of that. I didn't – prior to that, i have i I'd gigging around locally playing whatever recording sessions and bar gigs and club gigs. There's There was never any kind of like need for that because you, anyone can play. Uh, but to do like the Broadway and I, I assume in LA studio stuff, at least it used to be, it's unionized, which is good because they they maintain a certain amount of payment that you have to be paid. Everyone mm-hmm. gets paid a certain yeah. yeah, so you don't get lowballed. Um, but you have to make you have to pay fees every year. Uh, when I was coming up as a teenager, I joined the union in my hometown in Maryland because I had no idea how to get gigs, and it did actually help me connect with some of the older. Crowds wanted to plan a few more like weddings, and I joined like a brass band. Certain things that just by being a member, I got my phone number got added to certain directories and stuff.
1: I don't, nice. I don't know how
0: much of that's happening anymore in like local unions, um, but you might want to investigate it. The fees aren't really crazy expensive, so it can't hurt to just join. Uh, but yeah, if you're going to do anything in New York or LA, probably eh, Nashville, probably not. I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, but. You're going to have to be a member. There you go. Boom. All right. It is time for the pick of the week. Uh, I will
1: uh, let you guys know if you've seen any of the posts that I've put on social media where my campers are napping. There's always a podcast on in the background. And the whole point of the podcast was since the theme of this year's camps are uh, it's called the rabbit hole um, or down the rabbit hole we go. So it's just showing people how deep a single topic can be and teaching the students and the campers how much deeper they can go on simple things. Maybe it's a paradiddle. Maybe it's a basic groove. Well, what I wanted to show them even during our rest time was how deep music can be. So what you hear in the background is called the soundtrack show. And the soundtrack show is a podcast about movie soundtracks, but this guy Mm. is obsessed. And what I wanted people to see was how deep the rabbit hole was on the music that we take for granted. A good example would be he'll go through chord by chord what's happening in the theme to uh, the opening theme to Back to the Future. He'll say this chord when you hear it it's going to give you a longing for home. We know our main character is going to be trapped out of his own time and he needs to get home. That's what this chord makes you feel. Awesome. Then we know he's going to have to overcome something massive. So we're going to go up the scale to this point and that's him traveling up this uphill climb. But eventually, if all things go right and Doc Brown gets the DeLorean fixed, we have this chord. And like literally, as it's going on, you're like, oh, my God, I took all that for granted. (laughs) I had no idea they were doing that to to me in the first five minutes of the opening credits. And so he goes through that. He goes through everything that happens sound-wise inside of a movie. So it's called The Soundtrack Show. Uh, Check it out. It's actually quite amazing. And then he really goes into detail. On the relationships between different composers and different directors. So he really walks you through what John Williams' relationship was to Steven Spielberg before they did Jaws together, what John Williams' relationship was to um, Star Wars guy George Lucas. Yeah. Um, and just, and then like he even shows you the temp tracks that George Lucas george lucas used in star wars and says okay this is how the movie was delivered to john williams nice and george said replicate this without getting sued <laughs> i want this and so it's
0: it's amazing i definitely recommend it to everybody it's called the soundtrack show Take it that reminds me uh when i played at the midwest rhythm summit last month or so whenever that was in march okay yeah one, yeah. Of, one of the clinicians was the composer for the game halo Oh, wow. So they he they, did they a whole presentation very similar to what you're just talking about where he – here's the opening sequence that I was given with no music. Okay. Here's the dummy music that they gave me, and here's what I decided that I didn't like and liked about the dummy music. And here's right. every, every way that I kind of changed the mood and the atmosphere. I had never paid attention to – I don't play video games, but I didn't I realize that that, the, that was a legit – like career to compose music for these video yeah. games i mean it yeah. it blew me away like the amount of attention to detail this guy had paid to setting the right atmosphere for a video game and that's the whole concept
1: of the camp this year is like hey you know go deep with this stuff everything so get, all right all so right what's your pick of the week
0: i have a choose your own adventure do you want a, a book or something to listen to
1: uh, well, I gave him
0: something to listen to, so let's go book. Okay. This book I've had since... Gosh, the pages are all yellow. When did I buy this book? When I was way too young to understand it. I was pr- probably 15. It's the Gary Chaffee Rhythm and Meter Patterns book. Oh, yeah. It is um, kind of... The perfect test of, you know, if you've been practicing subdivisions and you think you got your eighth notes and your triplets and your sixteenths and your fives and your sixes and your sevens and your 32nd notes under control, he wrote a bunch of etudes that really kind of challenge all of that. Uh, Just the first two studies alone, um, I've been practicing them for darn near 20 years now. The first measure goes from sextuplets to sixteenths to triplets to fives to a sixteenth note with a decrescendo. And then he's got three beats wow. of sevens, and then on beat four, there's a triplet. So to be able to wow. play all that stuff super precise has been – well, it's been reaffirming all the subdivision practice I've been doing for the past couple of years because I finally feel like I'm not faking these things. Like I can really yeah, hear
1: You Yeah, know, I think that's, that's something that uh, most of us stop way too soon is you can play your subdivisions if you just stay in that subdivision, but floating yeah, from point to point – yeah, I mean, honestly, if I'm in eighth note triplets, especially if it's only one beat of them or two beats of them, I can tell you for a fact I would not be able to properly predict one grouping of septuplets.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's just
1: no way. I mean, I would, you know, I would roll the dice and maybe I'd get it. So, so what's the book called again?
0: It, this is the first of his, of his pattern series. So it's it's the rhythm and meter patterns. There are four books. This is kinda of like the first one, and then there's sticking patterns, there's technique patterns, and there's time functioning patterns. I mean wow. it's 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 a for me, it's a lifelong study similar to you know, all the greats, master studies to control syncopation. Yeah. Uh, I definitely feel like I finally am ready for it <laughs> after twenty nice. years of practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really I mean it, it you know, after the first two I think he wrote them to kind of like the reality check of, you know, you really can't do what you think you can do. And then each study after that is like, okay, we're only in eighth notes. We're only in triplets. We're only in sixteenths. We're only in fives. We're only in sixes, sevens and eights. Okay. So each subsequent study focuses on one subdivision with all the different combinations of rests and all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: That's another tough thing. I I
0: mean, I can play
1: beats worth of them, but if somebody had me, actually, if I had to play the rhythm you were talking about, two, four, and six in a septuplet? Yeah. yep.
0: (laughs) Right. Nay, nay. Nay. So anyway, it's a a good one. Awesome. Mine is all yellowed and I'm still getting good use out of it. So I think everyone should have it if you're kind of like super nerdy ready about for subdivisions. it yes yeah. be ready for it yeah it's not something you can just jam through
1: <laughs> I'm working on uh, Back in Black and then that Chafee book it's like oh okay you know, well three things uh, of three
0: and a five subdivision yeah.
1: yeah yeah I'm gonna drop the heat on that and this new Tom Petty tune we're covering all right, everybody, have a fantastic week, and uh, please, if you get a chance, rate the podcast for us. Also, uh, don't forget to enter into the contest, the Ultimate Ears contest, uh, because I promise you, if you win one of those two prizes, you are going to be stoked. Yep, um, for sure. So Mike and I will both be promoting that. All right, buddy, I will see you next week. Not before we talk about our outro groove. I already did. Oh, I, <laughs> uh, you, my mic cut out. You mean Andrew
0: Rooney? <laughs> Yeah, he's another Australian. No, actually, and, oh, man, he's going to kill me for that. Andrew is from New Zealand. So Ooh. this is... uh the
1: Kiwi's going to be fired up.
0: <laughs> what does he got? He's got a 20-inch PDP kick, 14-inch K hats. Um, he's using a Focusrite inter- interface. Nice. Take it. So he says, what does he say? You can guess the snare. Uh, from listening to it, my guess would be it's an Acrylite or a Superphonic. It's my my I instinct think, says AcroLite, but you can tell me if that's what it is or not. I'm surprised
1: they haven't renamed the AcroLite the Dawson. <laughs> you probably sold more of those $140 snare drums for them than they ever did when they were in full production.
0: Oh, I'm thinking about doing Man. a snare of the week video series on my YouTube channel, which I haven't touched in to forever. Just so you know, I, I already
1: filmed my snare drum Saturday, so just, oh, I'm yeah. not ripping you off. I've already. And, you can check my Instagram feed. I started it like, I don't want you to think I'm ripping you off, but I think that'd be great because yeah. we'd have such different insights and it'd be cool to see, let people see inside your world a little bit. So I think that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah. So that's, so anyway, this is, who was it? Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. So we need more, uh, we need more beats. So send them in to mdinfo at modern uh, and you'll get into the show. Awesome. So All right, it. buddy. Hopefully this one worked, right? We're good to go.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you in three seconds. In three, two
0: one.